In July, Brent asked me to meet him for lunch on a Tuesday, and we went to old Chicago, and we do that every couple of months. And by the end of the lunch, he asked me, he says, would you ever want to lead a trip to Israel for the people at Timberline? And that was kind of an out-of-the-blue question. And I thought about it, and I said, well, I would do it under one condition, well, two conditions. One, I got to be in charge, okay? I, I am a college professor, and we, we don't like to relinquish authority. And um, two, I mean, I already have a trip in the can, because I teach this travel class at uh, CSU, and if I got to do a version of what I do at CSU for the people at church, I would be happy to do it. And so... He said, okay, let's do that. So I went home. I contacted my friend in D.C. who organized these things and our guide in Israel. And by Sunday, we had it all squared away. Met with Pastor Mark Orphan, and uh, here we are. So he asked me if I would present to you what it is that we will be doing next May. And this is an opportunity for everyone at Timberline. Uh, well, for 40 people at Timberline. <laughs> we can't take everybody. But uh, if this is successful, we'd like to make it a regular feature for the, the church. And it would be an opportunity for people to uh, see the Holy Land. And the way that we have set it up, I, we've called the class, the trip, uh, the land of Israel past and present. And you can see that on the inside of your bulletin. And so I give you the past map and the present map. The past map is historically inaccurate. It says Palestine in the time of Jesus. Jesus didn't live in Palestine. The Romans didn't change the name until after they destroyed the temple in 70 A.D. But that's, that, that's my one historical correction that I have to insist on, on doing. Okay, my apologies. All right. Um, the way that we, I do this at CSU is we, I teach a class for about six weeks, and then we take the students on a field trip to see what it is that we studied. We'll do the same thing here. I will not assign papers. I will not give homework. But I will teach the, essentially teach the same material that covers from ancient Israel, the Roman and Hellenistic period, early Judaism, early Christianity. Um, we'll do a, a section on the Holy Land from Constantine till the Islamic period. Do a, a week on the Crusades, the Holy Land and the Crusades. In the last two weeks, trying to help people make sense of today. Um, Okay, that's like 3,000 years of history in six hours, so we'll leave a lot out, but you'll, the idea is to make people feel a little bit less overwhelmed when we get there. All right, so I thought I would work our way through uh, what it is that we're going to do and follow our trip. The way that it is set up, we would leave on Friday morning, the 20th of May. We would arrive in Tel Aviv at Bogorian Airport on early Saturday afternoon and get situated in our hotel, and then I would start marching you uh, through what we're going to do for the next week. We would begin in Jaffa, which is near Tel Aviv. It's a suburb of Tel Aviv now. But one of the things that we will do in the pre-trip class is we're going to put together a nice journal that has all of the itinerary and then under the whole itinerary, all of the relevant biblical passages so people can follow along and see where the sites match up with the biblical places. And if you want to come to the class, if you can't go on the trip, but you want to come to the class, you're certainly welcome to do that. And that journal will be available to you know, on the church website, so anybody can have that as well. Here's a, an aerial shot of Jaffa. I got to go to Israel in the summer of 2013 through a 
program at Tel Aviv University, and they took us on a helicopter tour of the country. So that's my photo. Um, that was great fun. It's, you, those of you who have been up in helicopters, it, it does help you see the geography better. That's our class from last spring. And uh, we were not 40, but we, we certainly had a lot of fun, and we're at the harbor in Jaffa. Jaffa is important for the, from the biblical point of view because this is where Jonah decided that he needed to get away from the Lord. And he found out that that was not a doable proposition. Um, it's also where uh, we will be encountering Jaffa in the, in the next few weeks in Derry's preaching on the book of Acts. Because Peter has some very important events that happen in the, in the place of Jaffa. Or Joppa, as it's pronounced in the, in the, um, in the New Testament. We will then move up to Caesarea, which is the capital of Judea during the time period of the Romans, during the time period that Jesus is active, during the time period of the early church. That's an extremely important place for the book of Acts as well. Peter and Paul have important uh, encounters with governors there. So we'll be learning about that on Sundays. From there, we will move on up to... uh, Mount Carmel, which is where Elijah had his encounter with the prophets of Baal. Those of you who are athletic, you can run ahead of the bus all the way down the Jezreel Valley until we get to Megiddo. You can reenact um, Elijah's marathon. Nobody thought that was a funny joke. Okay, that was a joke. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be Jeff Lucas up here, okay, um, and failing, falling flat on my face. We will... Uh, Head to Megiddo, and here is a image from the Tell of Megiddo of the Jezreel Valley, which is a great, big, wide, fertile valley in the north of the country. The hill country where the Israelites initially settled was here in the center, pretty much corresponds to the modern-day West Bank. And if you remember back in the book of Kings and in Joshua and Judges, you have the tribe of Joseph saying, we, we are too big. The land cannot contain us, but we cannot go to the plains because the Canaanites have iron chariots. Okay, they will, they will defeat us if we go down there. And they're talking about, that's talking about this big wide plain that the ancient Israelites were not able to settle yet. It's called the Jezreel Valley or the Yisrael Valley. Yisra is the Hebrew word for to sow, to sow seed. And El is God's name. So this is God's valley where he sows the seed and it is abundantly fertile. It's a beautiful name for a valley. And those of you who are farmers can appreciate that. Right, Cecil? Yeah, there we go. Okay, and from Megiddo, oh, I should tell you that Megiddo, those of you who are, I mean, this is a church. So the world is supposed to end there, possibly. Uh, It's not quite entirely clear how that works out. If the world is going to end... Uh, and while we are there, and we're going to have the big battle at Megiddo, I mean, it's going to happen anyway, so we might as well have a front row seat. So I would encourage you to come. Okay, uh, two uh, additional places that we're going to go from there will be up in the Galilee. This town here, it's the town of Sepphoris. That's how it's called in, in the Greek. Uh, in Hebrew, it's called Sipori, which means basically means birdie, because it's up on the top of a a hill, and you can see the whole Galilee for up there. You get a bird's eye view. This is a town that was ransacked in the century before Jesus, but it was built by the Romans, rebuilt by the Romans in the early decades of the first century, and it's very nearby Nazareth. 
It is sort of like the gem of the Galilee in that time. And we do know that people from the surrounding villages came there to work, to build, to participate in the construction of this great and beautiful town. This is where historians say, maybe, sometimes preachers like to say, most certainly, Joseph probably helped build this since he was a builder. Okay? Historians are a little more cautious. Preachers can take sermonic license. But this is perfectly reasonable that people, craftsmen from Nazareth, would have gone there as day laborers and would have helped build that. There is a Roman amphitheater there, which the Romans build in all of their major cities. And they put on plays. And the word that we get our word hypocrite from comes from the word that stands for actor. So you know that in, in the New Testament, Jesus, is, Jesus uses the word hypocrite quite a bit for people who are pretending to be something that they are not. Maybe he saw a play there and learned this new word that's added to the vocabulary of the locals. Who knows? Okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher's kid, not a preacher, so I can't be certain on that. Okay? Uh, we will then go to Nazareth, and Nazareth is a living town. Sepphoris is a nice site to see because it's a, an archaeological ruin and it's preserved and nobody lives there. So you get to see what life was like in the first century. You go to Nazareth, you've got to make sure you don't get run over by the cars and the traffic and people are blowing the horns. And it's, you know, it's just a, it's a living town. So it doesn't quite have that um, contemplative, uh, quiet, meditative sense but we will go and visit the Church of the Annunciation, where, which commemorates where Mary was told, Mary and Joseph were told that she's going to have a baby, and kind of surprised Joseph a little bit there. Okay, from there we will go. Uh, we'll go to Cana, which I don't have a picture of, where Jesus performed the miracle of the, turning the water into the wine, and there are wine shops all around the church there. You know, they, they, they know their audience. <laughs> okay, so if you, you can buy wine from Cana when you're there. We will then go to the Sea of Galilee. We will stay right here on the shore, and that will be our base of operations for two nights. We'll stay there for two nights. And we will then uh, start the next day at Capernaum, which is here on the North Shore, you can see it there. This is where most of Jesus' public ministry that's recorded in the gospel takes place. It's a well-preserved site. There's a lot of things to see. And it's very moving to just to see the geography and to see how close the water is to the synagogue where he preached. The synagogue that's there now is from the 4th or 5th century A.D., but it's built upon a site that would, was an active synagogue in the first century. So it's a, it's a newer uh, building, but it is in the same location. From there, we will uh, head all the way up north, all the way up to Dan, which is right on the Lebanese border. And those of you who know your Old Testament, in the ancient Israel, they frequently referred to from Dan to Beersheba. This is how they would refer to the, the length of the country. It's like saying from Maine to San Diego or from Seattle to Miami, trying to talk about the, the furthest point north to the furthest point south down here. It's also a really important place, and that's an image of the high place that, that was constructed by King Jeroboam when he split, when the kingdom split. And it refers to the sins of Jeroboam setting up alternative shrine centers to worship 
the God of Israel other than at Jerusalem. He set one up at Dan and one at Bethel. We will visit the one there at Dan. It's also the headwaters of the Jordan River. Nearby is uh, what is called Caesarea Philippi in the New Testament. The locals, uh, before it was renamed Caesarea Philippi, it was called Panias, which is after the Greek god Pan. And here you can see some of the waters that are going to go into the Jordan. But this rocky cave here is a temple to the Greek god Pan. This is the site where Jesus is there with his disciples. And he asked them, who do men say that I am? Wes, what did, what did they say? Okay. Uh, this is the downside of recognizing a face in the audience. They say, some say you are Elijah. Some say you are one of the prophets, maybe Jeremiah. And he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, you, Peter, don't you didn't say that because of what what you know, but because of what God put in your heart. And his name is changed from Simon, the son of Jonah, to Peter or rock. And he says, upon this rock, you, I will build my church. So you have this story situated next to this rock of paganism. That the church of Christ, the church of the son of the living God, is going to be built here in opposition to that. And that just makes that story kind of come alive in a way that uh, the first time I saw that it was and read that story in that situation, in that uh, location. It kind of brought it home in a way that I hadn't thought of before. So from there, we will go down south. We will uh, spend the night here again, and then we will work our way down uh, through uh, Betchan. It's called Scythopolis in the Roman period. It's one of the towns of the Decapolis that's mentioned in the New Testament. It's not a New Testament site, but this is the location where poor old King Saul met his fate and had the mis- misfortune of having his body impaled on the walls of Betchan. This is that location. We'll continue down the Jordan to the location of Qasr al-Yahud, and here's the Jordan River right there at Qasr al-Yahud. On the right-hand side is Jordan, on the left-hand side is Israel. This is the, the traditional site of where Joshua and the Israelites crossed into the land of Canaan after the 40 years in the desert. It's also the traditional site where John the Baptist was performing his baptisms and where Jesus was baptized. And when he was baptized... The heavens open, and a dove descends, and a voice is heard, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Back up here at Caesarea Philippi, the next story is the story where Jesus, James, and John, and Peter are up on a mountain, maybe nearby, maybe further away. And there is, suddenly, they see Moses and Elijah. And they want to build booths for them. It's happening at the same time of year as just happened last week. The Feast of Tabernacles in the Jewish calendar. We need to build tabernacles for Moses and Elijah. The great lawgiver, the great giver of Torah, and the great prophet of ancient Israel. The two greatest prophetic characters in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament are there with Jesus 
who has just been proclaimed the son of the living God, the Messiah. Clearly, they are agreeing with what Peter has just said. And at that moment you hear, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased coming from the heavens. And that is the beginning of the story when Jesus and his disciples turn towards Jerusalem for the purpose of even coming here to earth, which is to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. The ministry starts here. And from here, he goes into the mountains and is tempted and tested by the devil fast for 40 days and has this victorious competition with the devil. Moses and Elijah also fasted on a mountain for 40 days before they encountered God. Moses at Sinai, Elijah at Horeb. And Jesus, all three of them are here, and we have, they're all connected again down in this uh, era, area. From there, and if you want, you know, Pastor Brent can baptize you while we're in the, in the, at the river. They have showers, they have robes, they, it's all set up for, for that. Uh, a lot of people get remarried at uh, the church in Cana, because this is where a wedding happens. So if you want to rededicate your vows, Pastor Brent can do that. Um, I'm not certified to do that. Okay. From there, we will go to Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. We will head all the way down to Masada, which you can see there, which is not a New Testament site, but this is a Roman fortress and a Roman palace. And this is the site where, during the first Jewish war in the late 60s, the, a group of Jews had found refuge, and the Romans compelled slaves and took months to build this ramp of rubble to get to the top so they could break into, the, into Masada and slaughter everyone. The slaves, many of whom were Jews, the people who had taken refuge on the top were Jews. Perfectly reasonable that the people on the top knew some of the people who were building the ramp. The slaves don't really have a choice. They can't say, I'm not going to come to work today because you're going to build a ramp to my cousin's up on top of the hill. And the people that were on the top of the hill, they decided that they would, to use the the Jewish uh, language, they decided to sanctify the name of the Lord. They refused to bow and to bend to the Romans. And it was more righteous in their mind to take their own lives than to surrender to the Romans. And that's what we have here. We have a large corporate suicide taking place there. Um, to the left of this screen is where Jordan is. When we went, when I took my CSU students there, we get up about four in the morning. We hike up this side, up the, it's called a snake path because it's really windy. And it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to get up there. And, you know, we watch the sunrise. Uh, that's the 18 to 25 age cohort. The, C, the Timberline Church will take the cable car. Um, those of you who are a little, um, you know, some people just have to test themselves. Those people who would like to do that, you can certainly get up a little bit earlier and, and do the hike. Okay. Uh, I couldn't resist putting this one. This is my son, Joshua, who went with us in, um, in March. He's sitting on the, on the wall overlooking 
the cliff and watching the sunrise coming over the mountains of Moab, where Mount Nebo is, where Moses would have been. Where he, got, he got to look this way, and we got to look where Moses had been. From there, we'll go to En Gedi. That's our class in the, in the oasis of En Gedi. It's a very lush and watery and green place. That is where David hid from King Saul. It's also um, described beautifully in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon in that beautiful love poem that's in the Old Testament. Uh, en Gedi being a, a, an oasis in the midst of a bone-dry desert. Okay? From there, we will ascend up to Jerusalem. And I ascend is exactly what we do. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. It's about 1,300 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is about 2,600 feet above sea level. From Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, the way the crow flies is about 17 miles. That's a pretty steep climb. Um, I mean, it's a bit of a steep climb going from here to Estes. And Estes is a lot farther away than Jerusalem is from the Dead Sea. So it's a pretty steep climb. That's the route that is described in the story of the Good Samaritan, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we'll see wadis or valleys as we go up the road. And you can imagine that that would have been a good place to lay in wait. And you wonder, why was that guy walking down this valley by himself? This This was not a wise decision on his part. And we come from that side, and we arrive at the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is an extremely important place in the life of Jesus. It's an important place in the uh, later prophets in the Old Testament, which is talking about the coming of the Messiah and the splitting of the mountain of olives in the book of Zechariah. This picture is Jerusalem taken from the Mount of Olives. This is a church that commemorates the place where Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem and wept for her. And it's the, it's the church of where the Lord wept. And that's, that's the name of the church. Uh, so this is what you see from the Mount of Olives, and, the, and what you see there is what you see from the Temple Mount. And we will spend the last three days of our trip in Jerusalem. It's a nice place. We, we have the same hotel for three days in a row, so you get to, you get to relax a little bit. Uh, and there are so many things for us to see, from the ancient period to the New Testament period to uh, even the modern period. Okay? This is the, the walls of the old city. They're really old to us because, you know, Old Town Fort Collins is a little over 100 years old, maybe 150 uh, those walls are, are new. They were built in the 1500s. Okay, they're only 500 years old. The time period of Jerusalem where King David was is not even inside those walls. It's down this hill that goes down the side, down to the valley of Hinnom, and along the Kidron Valley on the, on the, west, on the east side. The area where the Dome of the Rock is and the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that is the area where the temple had been during the first temple period, and then rebuilt during the second temple period, but destroyed in 70 A.D. And we will spend three days in and around there. We will, while we're in Jerusalem, we will visit a number of sites, but the key site that, well, there's one site that I don't have a picture of, but we always, I can't take a group of people to Israel and to Jerusalem and not spend 
sometime at the Yad Vashem Museum, which commemorates the Holocaust, uh, one of the horrors of the 20th century. You're not allowed to take pictures inside there, so I don't have any images of that. From there, we will go to the old city again. This is on Friday. We will start outside of the walls of the old city today, the current walls, and visit what's known as the Garden Tomb, or Gordon's Tomb. An English uh, commander in the 19th century located this place outside of the walls, and he says, aha, this must be the tomb where Jesus was buried. It's outside the walls. It looks like a skull. This must be the place. Probably not the place. Uh, there's a place inside the walls that is the traditional site of it. But this one is nice. This one's quiet. It's a garden. It's quiet. You know, you can sit there and you can think about things. The one on the inside, the old the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, that dates to the, to the 300s. And uh, the city has grown up around it and extended beyond it. And it's a little bit more crowded and uh, hustly-bustly. This is from the dome of the inside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We in the West call it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The churches in the East, the Greek Orthodox, the Assyrian Church, the Chaldean Church, they refer to it as the Church of the Resurrection. They happen in the same spot, right? Uh, Jesus is buried, but for us, what matters is that he is not there. He has risen, and we celebrate that every spring at Easter. And as St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not raised, we are still in our sins. Our faith is in vain. We are wasting our time if he is not raised from the dead. That's what gives us meaning, gives our whole lives meaning. Okay? From there, uh, we will come on Friday afternoon, and we will come to the Western Wall. And Friday afternoon, when sun goes down, and this is when the Sabbath begins, because in the Jewish calendar, the way they mark time, you know, it's like on the first chapter of Genesis, the evening and the morning, day one, evening and morning, day two. So the day begins in the evening. So when sun goes down, that's when the Sabbath starts. So we will be there for the Kabbalat Shabbat, or the welcoming of the Sabbath, which is a big party. I mean, there's singing and dancing and joyous celebrations, and it's kind of fun to watch that. And they'll bring you in. You can dance with them. And we had a couple of the guys who went down on the men's section over there. Um, we were there in March, and there's, you know, there's soldiers there, and they all are in uniform. And you always, unlike here, when the soldiers leave the base, they have to take their rifles with them. So they got all the, you know, everybody's with their rifles and one of, my, one of our students, uh, Hunter, was in a circle dancing around with them. His cell phone fell on the ground, and he went down to pick it up, and he got bonked on the head with uh, the butt of the, guy, the soldier's gun, and everybody was happy, okay? Um, this was a wonderful time. Now, when you see all the soldiers everywhere, this is, gives you a feeling of, oh, that's really nice, okay, because they're there to protect you. Uh, if you are... Opposed to the soldiers, then you kind of want to be careful around them. But these guys, they're, they're on, they're, we're, we're on their side, they're on our side, so it's, not a, it's nothing to worry about. Um, but my boys who like to shoot a lot, they thought that was the coolest thing in the world, <laughs> to see all that stuff. Okay, we'll spend the night, then our last day we will start at the place of the Lord's birth. We will go to Bethlehem. We'll cross into the Palestinian Authority area. This is the one area where we, we won't be in Israel. 
We'll go to the Church of the Nativity, which looks like a fortress because it had to be one. And it was refortified in the Middle Ages, and the entranceway was made about this high so that the bad guys couldn't ride their horses into the church. Okay, so they lowered the, so you have to kind of bend down to get in. Uh, and you go down into the grotto, and this star here, is, it represents the crash, the area where Jesus was born, and the star represents the star of the, of the wise men. From there, we will come back into Israel. We will work our way to the west side of Jerusalem to a village which is called Enkerim, the spring of the grape vineyard, the, screen, the spring of the vineyard. And this is the, the site that's associated with John the Baptist and his birth. This is his hometown that's described in Luke chapter 1. And you have Mary who goes there, and she's already pregnant with Jesus, and she sees Elizabeth who is about six months further along. And I don't know if you can see the image there. This one must be Elizabeth because she's a little bigger than this one. And what you have at this church on in like 70 different languages around the world, you have the Song of Mary from Luke chapter 1 that is written up there in English, Arabic, Hebrew, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, whatever language you can imagine. And it's a really quite a, quite a moving place. From there, we will move to a village that's on the way back to the airport. It's a, it's a village town. The, the name of it now is Abu Ghosh. It's the site of the ancient Israelite village of Kiryat Yarim, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, and it was stored until David brought it to Jerusalem. And since the time of the Crusades, the Crusaders started associating that village with the village of Emmaus that is mentioned at the end of Luke's Gospel. Who knows if it's related to Emmaus or not, but it's, uh, it became associated with there and they, that uh, place by the Crusaders, and they built a church there. We'll have a big dinner there. They're famous for great food. A few years ago, they held the world record for the largest um, pot or plate of hummus. It was like two tons. And they won that, they took that crown from the Lebanese, and so the Lebanese immediately got to work. And the next year they built a big plate of hummus that was about 10 tons. So you get a lot of cooks, uh, and they, because they couldn't, you know, you, you don't want to give up your world record. So they just, that was a lot of hummus. To, but they, you know, apparently they all ate it. Okay? Now this, this is the, what our trip is. And one of the things that when I presented this to the, the in a Sunday school class a few weeks ago, uh, people had questions and we have a few minutes left. And I thought I'd just give you a chance to see if you had any questions about what we were doing or if you'd like me to clarify anything before we move on. Wes, do you, do you have a question? OK. Anybody? All right, that's fine. What I would like to do then before we turn our, our attention to communion is to read what Mary said, the song that she sang after she, was, after she visited her cousin Elizabeth. And this is in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Matthew's gospel begins with this sentence, the first sentence of the New Testament. This is the account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Matthew's gospel concludes with Jesus telling his disciples, all authority has been given to me. And I send you out to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And an awful lot happens in between that very beginning and the end. But here we see the, the even before Jesus is born, Mary is remembering how the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David and Solomon, the God of the prophets, the God of Moses, delivered his people. And as was announced to Mary that she should name her son Jesus, Joshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Just as Moses delivered the people of Israel from the slavery and bondage of Egypt, Joshua, the son of Mary, Joshua, the son of God, will deliver his people from their sins, from the slavery of our sins. And... We would love you to join us if you if you can fit it into your schedule. If you can't join us, I would like you to, I would like to leave you with that thought that we are here tonight because of what happened in this very very small piece of real estate. Beginning in this little village with Mary and Elizabeth and concluding in Jerusalem. And oh, well actually concluding on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascends from the mountain into heaven. And the thing that gives it its meaning is what happened on Good Friday and what happened on Easter.